The most pleasant exhaustion podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm based in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax, and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation security. Book a call or drop them a line on their website, highechelloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group, inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at bluepineappletravel. MPE Coaching is the coaching arm of the podcast. If you like what you hear here and you need help preparing for a big goal, reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com or mpecoach at gmail.com. Trail races, marathons, triathlons, multi-day relays, we have helped people get ready for all of these things. Our approach is rooted in proven exercise physiology, but we also bring our own experience as coaches and athletes to bear. We specialize in helping adults with busy schedules find ways to build fitness and accomplish their goals. Whether you're looking to complete your first multi-sport race, qualify for Boston or Kona, set a new marathon PR, or simply become a healthier, happier athlete, we can help. Click on the coaching link on the podcast website, www.mostpleasantexhaustion.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude State-of-the-Art Indoor Training Center, they are capable of simulating elevation of up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals, from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons, train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. And Michelle trained there extensively for the Silver Rush 50 in 2023, her first ever 50 mile race that spent a lot of time over 10,000 feet. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing, such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing, which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuels you are burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info@elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or to set up an appointment. Their website is elementalaltitude.com. And finally, our new sponsor for 2024 is Bright Hair. Bright Hair is a creative design studio offering branding, graphic design, marketing, and website design and support. They designed our Most Pleasant Exhaustion logo and they're helping to build our website right now. The folks at Bright Hair are patient and thorough and they listen to your feedback. Their expertise has been critical to our getting our branded merchandise shop off the ground in early 2024. Be sure to reach out to them with any graphic design or marketing needs that you have. 
You can find them at brighthair.com. That's bright, B-R-I-G-H-T, hair, H-A-R-E.com, or on Instagram at bright, period, hair. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making the most pleasant exhaustion podcast possible. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by High Echelon PC, MPE Coaching, Blue Pineapple Travel, Elemental Altitude Training Centers, and Bright Hair. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls and a CPA. Michelle, I haven't seen you since last year. George, that is so funny. Did you work all day on that joke? Have you been I, thinking about that the whole time? Because we've been talking for like 15 minutes already. I have been, as a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> you know, what's fun about so-called dad jokes is that they're hilarious when you're in elementary school. And then sometime around middle school, high school, you get a little bit too cool. <laughs> and then sometime around age 30 or 35, they become hilarious again. And so like I, my sons are just at the point now where they're starting to think that dad jokes maybe aren't as funny as I have always told them that they are. So Uh, I get the dad jokes now because your sons aren't a good enough audience anymore. You and all of our (laughs) devoted listeners, yes, get the dad jokes. So Well, that was a pretty good one. I was not expecting that. (laughs) Happy New Year to you. I am glad to see you. I'm glad to be kicking off 2024 by talking to you, Michelle. Um, we, uh, have lots of fun things to talk about, not the least of which is you have a big race coming up here in about a week, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, according to my Delta app, it was (laughs) two weeks from now, but once I realized I booked the plane ticket for the wrong weekend, I thankfully was able to change it. So that is a mistake that I've heard people make over and over. I've never. Sure, yeah, absolutely. It. Lots of people make that mistake, Michelle. Totally understandable. <laughs> okay. Well, I've always had empathy for the people that, you know, show up at the airport and they don't have the plane ticket for the right day or the wrong flight. And I've always just been like, how could, like, how is that even possible? How do you make that mistake? What is wrong? Anyways, I am now one of those people. There you um, go. So I'm thankful that I caught it because that would be really bad if I had you know, kind of been just drumming around uh, Thursday afternoon this coming week and wondering why isn't it telling me to check in for my flight? And um, But thankfully, I was able to quickly change my ticket for January 12th instead of January 19th. So yeah, I'm going to a race next weekend. Very good. I, I did think it was fun. You posted on the text thread that you and I share with our friend Lauren, who is also running the Houston Marathon, uh, that you had, in fact, realized that you booked your ticket for the wrong weekend. Uh, and you asked something to the effect of, is there any other major thing that maybe I'm forgetting that I might have screwed up? I double checked my hotel and it turns out that's the right time because don't forget, you did make that mistake with Mountain Mist last year. Um, oh, yeah. So but, obviously, don't travel with me. So I and I responded, are you truly registered for this race? And you said, I'm registered. I have have a corral. I super confirmed that. Um, (laughs) But I forgot about the mountain mist cabin thing. Um, (laughs) Why am I? I think, you know what? It's the same exact thing, though. I have an assumption that the race is on X weekend of X month. And I just go ahead and I do things six months in advance, way before I even actually register for the race because I can. um, So I just don't check the dates. And that's the same exact thing that happened at Mist. But also, yeah, if I'm one of these people now, if 
if, if you're one of these people that do this often, like what else do you do like this? That all kind of fits in the same bucket. Cause I need, <laughs> I need to just be conscious of it. Um, even though I'd already forgotten about the miss thing. So I'm not sure what to say about it, but I fixed it a week right. in advance. So I'm, so I'm thankful to have fixed it. If you are someone who continually makes mistakes such as these, <laughs> and there is something besides a race registration, a hotel <laughs> reservation, or a flight reservation that you have also mistaken, by all means, reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com and let us know so that we can give Michelle a heads up. <laughs> yeah, we'll even pick the top three and share with our listeners next week. <laughs> so, Michelle, I appreciate the fact that you are willing to indulge me in this because I figured it was going to be me giving you a hard time about it and you being super defensive. But <laughs> um, So I think this is one of those like laugh or cry situations and it right just on. seemed really appropriate to laugh at myself, sit down at my desk, just call Delta Sky Miles. Well, so now that we've given you a suitable hard time about that, um, how is your training? How are you feeling? You've gotten like the one big mistake out of the way. So now, you know, you're going to get up, you're going to fuel perfectly the morning of, you're going to to nail your your pace plan, just everything else, right? Um, I mean, that's the dream day. I'm hoping just to you know, have a more satisfying race than the last time I tried this road marathon thing about two and a half years ago. So I feel really good. I, um, I kind of wish there was like two more weeks, but maybe that's, that's prop that probably means it's good to just, this is the end of the cycle, I guess. Mm, okay. Um, so yeah. Yeah. No, I think you should feel good about it. Um, you know, as somebody who has been looking over your shoulder and training peaks over the course of the past several weeks here, Oh, I think you're ready to go. I'm excited for you. What's the weather going to be like? Have you looked yet? No, <laughs> I'm, I know that. Um, so I know Brooke looked at the weather. Mm -hmm. She sent the weather forecast. She's a longtime listener of the podcast, a local friend. She looked at the forecast for Saturday and she sent it to me. And I said, mm -hmm. you know, the race is on Sunday. <laughs> um, but I did not go in and look. And actually I've had a few people ask, and I think I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not going to stress about the weather 10 days out. Okay. It is what it is. It's Houston. Okay. I have enough, you know, knowledge, I think at this point to figure out how to adjust mostly fluid intake for, uh, heat. Mm -hmm. And, but essentially my gel fueling will stay the same. So mm -hmm. I'm not that worried about it. Um, obviously it matters what clothing and stuff that I wear, but mm -hmm. I'm ultimately going to wear mostly the same thing, no matter like what the weather, even if it's a little bit cold, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just, until somebody in one of our text groups starts, you know, shouting out the weather for Houston and I can see Justin Schmidt all over this right now. He's going to send a daily forecast, I bet. Um, no, I'm just not going to worry about it. Right <laughs> so. on. Very good. Very good. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, what clothing you're going to wear, what clothing you're going to wear. Well, we, as mentioned, um, have been going kind of back and forth with backline running to, you know, come up with a bunch of merch options for most pleasant exhaustion podcast, uh, most pleasant exhaustion coaching. So we picked, I think, you know, we settled on um, a crop for women and a singlet for men. And it's not exactly what it'll look like when it becomes open just for ordering. If anybody's interested in ordering um, because it is a vinyl print of the logo, not uh, like screen printed or sublimated. I don't know. We haven't really decided yet because we haven't finalized the design. So I'm just going to wear that crop probably with a pair of shorts. They actually have a pair of six and a half inch uh, shorts, which are awesome. I, I think they're 
I actually haven't even talked about them to anyone, which is shocking when I find something that I like. Um, but we, this was in the first trial run of backline stuff that I received. So I don't like the way the logo looks on it, but I'm just going to get over it for the race day because the shorts are great and they're functional and they fit well. And, um, I've also been stalking the website for four weeks and there's no mediums in this. I would order another mm. pair actually mm. to wear the ones without the logo on it because I don't mm. like the way the logo looks. That's why we okay. changed the logo. Mm. <laughs> That's a lot of information, um, but no, they're sold out in every color and a medium. So I'm just going to wear what I have and it's going to be great. So yeah, awesome. And if it's very good cold, then I'll throw on a pair of arm warmers and gloves Um and I actually might buy a new pair of socks. So that's pretty okay. much all that's left, I think. So Okay. That was definitely a planted question because I was hoping it would lead into your talking about how, in fact, you have been taking the lead and going back and forth a whole lot with Backline, the, the clothing company based in Brooklyn, um, about the the branded clothing that we're working on right now that folks will have the opportunity to uh, to, to get some of uh, once we kind of finish up getting it designed and all that sort of thing. I'm super impressed, Michelle, like sublimated and vinyl and all those various terms you talked about when I keep going, know, keep going. You, you didn't know any of that stuff a month ago. No, no I, okay. I, um, gosh, that is an, the understatement of the year and it's only a few days into the year, but it might still be true in December. Um, no, and that's actually why we are so fortunate to have bright hair as a sponsor, yeah. um, and a friend and Stacy stepped in and literally, do you think she had to explain things to me on a kindergarten level? So I mean, it was pretty much at, at best a kindergarten level. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and me too. I... And me too, to be fair. Yeah. Um, the only reason why she wasn't explaining it to me to the degree that she was explaining it to you is because I was kind of sitting back and watching, whereas you were actually doing the work. And so um, I suffered, but... man. I, I was, <laughs> um, but so we, on we appreciate this topic, you and we appreciate high echelon <laughs> PC actually taking the, uh, the, the, the lead on this as one of our sponsors. So very cool. Did you get your singlet? I did. Okay. I got my singlet in the mail. You sent it to me. I will be wearing it during the Disneyland half marathon that I do next weekend, which is not a target race for me because I am far from being in tip top shape, which I am perfectly fine with here five months out from my big target. Um, but um, but I will be wearing one of those singlets that you sent to me as well. I'm, I'm super excited awesome. about that. I was actually just thinking, what time is your start? Who is actually going to be starting a race first with the singlet on? You or me? Because it's at the same day, but I have a super early start. And you're you're probably 5 a.m. start in Disney World? 5 a.m. start in Disneyland, yes. Disneyland. I sh I'm so sorry. And I'm on Central Time in Houston? Yeah. So, Don't, so obviously, I, I sound like a total ditz right now. Can't book my plane ticket. Don't know what time it is in Houston. Hopefully Confusing anybody Using Disneyland and Disney World. That's the worst, by the way. That is, I am so sorry to Agreed. like the Disney gods. Um, so the, I think the we Disney have a... World half marathon and marathon and goofy challenge and all that sort of thing is going on right now. Um, a friend of the podcast, Charlie Holder, is actually doing the goofy challenge where you the 5K, Ooh. the 10K, the half marathon, the marathon. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, um, I want to say we have a 7 a.m. start, which would right. mean 5 a.m. for you, but which would I don't mean know, you and I are literally going to be starting races at the exact same moment. I'm excited about that, Michelle. I appreciate all the work that you've done on that. I'm excited to follow you at the Houston Marathon and see how it goes because I, I think you're going to have a really good race. Um, what are you going to fuel with? I actually haven't felt good fueling this entire cycle, but I'm just going to use Morton because mm -hmm. it works. I will say that I've gotten some form of like it GI stomach hurting um, during every run that I've used them. But my, what I've learned in training is that it goes away. 
And I understand like it could be different at a, you know, more intensity, longer period of time, but it's just what I'm most comfortable with. I don't run the risk of not being able to stomach the flavor. There is no flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not dependent completely, you know, it's a water-based gel. So if I miss a water stop or I feel like I need to take a gel, but I don't have water for a few miles, I don't have to work any of that math out. Yeah. Right. And I hate the, okay, we'll start the gel at mile three and a half because there's water at four and you can chase it. I don't want to deal with any of that. Um, yeah. So even on as little as a two and a half hour long run, I used four gels. I basically went 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, um, and then took one right 10 minutes before the end. And I used four gels also for the th for a three hour run. And I've basically just taken them kind of as needed on the more intense runs. So that's my plan. And hopefully one before and five during. So sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. I, uh, I look forward to hearing how it goes. I think you're fueling to be good. You're um, you've used scratch before, right? Yeah. So I think I'm going to carry um, a handheld. Mm -hmm. I bought a new one actually in October, which was um, it wasn't like officially the start of the training cycle, but I decided to do a two hour run there and I didn't have anything. Um, so I bought it, but it's the wrong one. I I've hated it every single time I've used it this training cycle. So I'm super looking forward to starting with, uh, one scoop of scratch and about 18 ounces of water. Right. And as soon as I throw that handheld away, I'm going to be so excited to buy it. You're literally one. throwing it away during the race. Oh yeah. I'm just tossing it hundred percent. Right. So I'll try to get it to somebody <laughs> like make, make eye contact, you know, right. Merry Christmas, happy new year, add this to your collection. Right. Um, but yeah, I just plan to, uh, the start is so congested and mm -hmm. this way I don't really have to worry about the first few water stops. Yeah. yeah that it's makes not, sense. Okay. When I say so congested, it's no New York or Boston or anything. It's pretty congested. Yeah. And it's, but intense. it allows you to just stay on the course. Right. I don't have to yeah. weave or anything. Um, and the one downside of Morton, which I know is often a conversation is the lack of sodium electrolytes. It doesn't right. have any. Right. So my plan is to take like a scratch they have a high sodium drink. So I'll take that before I go to bed and then I'll drink before the race, a scoop of it. And then I'll have one in the handheld. And mm -hmm. if it's super hot, then I might run with salt pills. Um, mm -hmm. at most, I would probably take two to four of those during the race. Okay. But I honestly think, uh, just being that it's January and being, you know, even if it gets up to like the mid or high fifties, it should be, it should be okay. I mean, I'll be pretty salt depleted by the end for sure, but from a scientific standpoint, hyperhydration the night before, scratch before, and carrying one bottle at the beginning, that should be almost like 3,000 milligrams of sodium, which yeah. should be sufficient. So it feels like plenty for sure. Maybe sure. 2,600. Yeah, it's good. So, yeah. Very good. Um, Very good. You're going to do great. I, uh, you know, I, I, I will use that as a segue because you know how I love a good segue. Um, I had a few people reach out to me about the recommendations I made um, for the gift guide a couple of weeks ago. Um, okay. And and one person said, you kind of always seem like you're recommending the same stuff. Like, like, can't you try a broader range of things and recommend more stuff? And I was like, okay, that's a harsh but fair critique. Um, and, and with that in mind, my mother-in-law for Christmas gave me a subscription to a runner box so um, fun and it's it actually is pretty cool and so i'll get three boxes over the course of the next few months they're filled with like just various kind of 
things. Um, and so the first one is the one that she wrapped up and put under the tree. And so it has, it had in it a scratch like Rice Krispie treat. And it has <laughs> this, uh, this uh, electrolyte tabs that you can put in water. Um, and it has like some, some chafe guards and it has like some wet wipe type things that you can use, uh, you know, rather than taking a shower after a run. Um, and all sorts of other things like that. And so, yes, I can definitely offer a little bit more now. But yeah, the segue is that scratch Rice Krispie Treat is one of the worst things I've ever eaten, Michelle. (laughs) Let me tell you about those Rice Krispie Treats. When I was training for Leadville this past year, I bought three boxes of those. And that is what I ate. Like when I would go on these crazy long runs on Winding Gap, I would just, because I'll tell you why, for the longer distance stuff, and I would assume this is true on the bike, it's very, it's solid. You feel like you're eating real food. Oh, yeah. And it goes down, um, I don't know, it just goes down so easy. And I'm actually, you're the first person I've spoken to hates the scratch rice crispy treats. Well, so it might be because I really like regular rice crispy treats. Like, oh, these are not regular Rice Krispie treats. Right. That's what I'm <laughs> okay, saying. And that's kind of what my okay. expectation was. I was like, no, no, it was no. a chocolatey crisped rice treat, which is what they called it. And I was like, this sounds lovely. I'll have this before my bike ride. And I was like, it was like eating cardboard. No. Um, because I've definitely been on long bike rides and stuff and had an actual Rice Krispie treat before and been like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. Um, yeah. And this, is... and this was not that. <laughs> no, there, it's this is very much a like nutritional product. I like to think of it as the best way that I can describe it is if you're a person that likes like a Quest protein bar or a Quest like oatmeal raisin cookie, it's like a protein cookie. This okay. is like the rice cake version of that, but it's carbs okay. and not protein. So it's no, it's no, it's nothing like your <laughs> blue packaged Kellogg's Rice Krispie treats. Exactly. Um, but it is um it it will give you calories and, and carbohydrates and stuff yes, so indeed. it did do I, that you know i don't know that scratch's target audience was the traditional rice crispy treat lover um it definitely does lean that way so i can see why you would think that it would be just like that but for those people who haven't tried it just know that it is not just like a okay. regular rice so, crispy treat so mixed review then on the scratch rice crispy <laughs> treat the other, the other question specifically about the <laughs> recommendations that I got from a few different people is that they said, I'm surprised or I noticed that you didn't recommend people get a lever movement system, despite the fact that you used one so much leading up to, Ooh, to the Berlin That's Marathon. a good one. Um, which, yeah, I thought was an excellent question. And by the way, kudos to the people who sent me that question. And I'm actually sort of flattered that that you listened that closely to the podcast. Um, but, but, but yeah, I didn't. Um, I actually sent back my lever movement system. You know, you can, you can get it for a month at a time and then they, it's sort of like rent to own. Um, and then any, the, the price you pay per month, they will contribute that towards the overall purchase price if you decide that you didn't want to buy it. And so I rented it um, and considered going ahead and purchasing it. And in consultation with my coach, decided not to, um, and did a few runs on the treadmill without it and said, you know what, I, I don't want it. I don't need it. There might come a time when I decide that I do need it again. But I was thinking about it when I was running yesterday and I was like, I would recommend the lever movement system in the same way I might recommend like a pair of crutches or like a boot yeah. or something else like that. You know, it, That's it, fair. Sure. it helped me get through and do this training. Um, but what I what I wondered the whole time, and you and I had several conversations about this, Michelle, um, and I, I'm pretty sure I even said this on the podcast. What I wondered the whole time is, 
is running for a, an hour at a certain intensity using the lever, the same as running at that same intensity for an hour without the lever? Is it the same? And I think that my ultimately my my conclusion was no, it's not quite the same. Um, I mean, how does lever answer that question? Do so, they do they market this as that, or do they market it as we've got a way for you to still run while you're injured, you know, and not further kinda, injure yourself? It's kind of the latter. It's it's more of a tweak. It's more we've got a way for you to run with less impact. Okay. which is good when you're injured or when you're coming back from injury or when you're trying to avoid injury or whatever it happens to be, right? That's kind of the sure. subtext of that. But what they say is is it's a lower impact way of running, which it was. Um, and, and make no mistake, I was far better off running that hour at a particular intensity using a lever than I was not running for an hour. Um, right. I ended up going into Berlin in a far better place because of the lever than I would have had I just missed all of those runs. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, undoubtedly, there, there's no doubt about that. And so did it get me to the starting line with some degree of fitness? Yes. 100 percent. Absolutely. And I appreciated its playing that role. But I do think and I said this in my in my race report afterwards, my my upper body and my core and my back and my shoulders hurt a lot. They were super sore after the race. And I think it's because I just wasn't accustomed to holding them up. Um, right. I, I was accustomed well, that makes to having something else holding them up, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so I do think that while my fitness stayed good, my legs stayed pretty good, my Achilles stayed manageable. Um, I did have have some some I lost some fitness as well, or I, I lost yeah. a few things in the process too. That I'm getting back now that I'm not using it. So, um, so well, that's why I didn't recommend it. So, so I guess you could say I would recommend it for people under certain circumstances. But, but I think sure. if you're if you're a healthy runner, um, who has no problem training, I, I don't know that I would recommend it necessarily. Uh, so or, as a, or at least you wouldn't at least I wouldn't recommend somebody use it as much almost exclusively the way that I did uh, going if, up the line. If you sit in your coach's seat versus the athlete seat, mm -hmm. do you think somebody you could coach somebody to their full potential in any distance race if they did most of their training with a lever? That's a really good question. Um, so what I would say is that that um, if they trained only with the lever. I mean, you used it for treadmill runs sparingly, right? You yeah. didn't use it for every no, run. I used it for you every used it for treadmill. treadmill. I used it for every, every treadmill, treadmill run. And, right. and I tended to opt for the treadmill rather than opting. So I still did my long runs outside, but that was about it, really. Um, right. And so so I would say the bulk of my training, I could go through and actually find the percentage, but it was somewhere between about 70 or 80% of my miles were, were using the lever. Um, so I, I would say, first of all, it would, it would be less than that. I would, I would want to be less than that. But second of all, I think that, that what I would do differently as a coach is I would fold in other activities that would try and make up for some of those things that I was losing by using the lever, like that core work and strength work and things like that. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, so I, I just did, I, I wouldn't clue into the fact that I was losing that. Um, yeah. It only became apparent after the race. Um, um, and there was no doubt that I did lose it <laughs> for sure. Um, that makes sense. Okay, so that was a good segue, a not so good segue. Let's talk about uh, Molly Seidel going on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR news quiz show. Did you listen to it? I did, and I've heard her um, talk about it, I think, both. Oh, on you have? Cap. Yeah, with her, she and her sister have a podcast, and she does a one-month 
kind of catch up with Julia Hanlon uh, leading into the trials. And I've heard mm. her both times say that that was like a bucket list lifetime. Uh, I get it. Yeah. So I think she was pretty stoked to have been on there. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like when I heard her say that, I, I was wondering, did she listen to how it came out? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at least for her, as far as I could tell, it was a positive experience. Good. So. And, I'm, and I'm glad. And I think that's super important. I mean, if I was on there, I would consider it to be like a like a high end experience as well. You know, the host, Peter Sagal, um, is a marathoner and he's written a book about running. I read his book about running a few years ago. It's called The Incomplete Book of Running. It's supposed to be like a play on the classic Jim Fix book, the complete book of running. Um, yeah. But um, but it's it's a fun book and he's a funny guy. And so I figured that they were going to have some pretty interesting discussions about like what it's like to be an Olympic marathoner and a bronze medal winner and all that sort of thing. Um, and instead, what the conversation focused on, and I blame this on the editor because I'm sure they had a much longer and more wide ranging conversation. This reflected what the conversation focused on was the fact that on new year's Eve, she was on a rooftop in Boston with her sister smoking a joint and decided to try out for the Olympics. Or at least that's the way the story was told. Right. Yeah. And they, and they kind of, they mentioned it like two or three times and kept coming back to it and stuff like that. And so the overall takeaway for me of the, of the interview or of the segment was, was, that she was sort of this novice runner and that she had never really done anything. And then she decides to jump in a marathon and she qualifies for the Olympics and then gets the bronze. But it felt like that to me. You know? Yeah. I mean? I mean, you know, before she became a marathoner on the Olympic team for America, she won foot locker. She right. won NCAA championships. She broke, you know, as a college athlete, what had long been considered like the foot locker curse, right? Mm-hmm. She has a whole, a whole other running world. She didn't right. just, you know, right. go from smoking a joint on the roof of a, a Boston right. um, apartment complex to making the marathon team and then meddling right. in the Olympics. Right. But right. yeah, if you don't know that, that is your takeaway from that segment for sure. Yeah. yeah. And and that, that obviously bothers me as somebody who has grown up in the South and has de- dealt with over the course of the past three decades, people thinking the only athletes are basketball players, baseball players, and of course, football players. Of course. Um, then you know anybody can run i mean what are you're just you know you're just the best at training um so so yeah obviously that's something that's going to stand out to me that i'm going to be hypersensitive to that being said i thought it was cool that she did it um you know kudos to her for going on there um like i said i blame the 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 editor for for that more than anybody um but uh hopefully it will help increase her profile and uh and and help increase her her brand her personal brand for sure um but it's a it, it itself talking about that is a segue to talking about the one thing that you and I uh had several discussions with each other and then with a few of our other friends last year as well about sort of the the role of personal brands and influencers and that sort of thing in the running world right now um and as we kick off 2024 as we sort of think of the state of the sport i think that's maybe a sort of a fun thing for us to talk about a little bit here yeah i think you know these professional runners i mean they go to high school they may or may not go to college but the idea is they have enough talent or enough work ethic that gives them enough talent that they're professionalization of what they do is being an athlete. It is their sport, right? So whether it's road, track, mountain, ultra trail, 
Um, if you are a sponsored professional athlete, you are being sponsored and compensated for your ability to run. And you would think that the greater the ability to run, the greater the compensation. Um, what we've seen. And because because that's the way it works in other sports, right? That's right. If, if you think about um, like, like, so Michael Jordan is considered to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. And he is a literal billionaire, right? Literal. Uh, yes. <laughs> and so, so the highest paid players in most sports are, are the players that are the best. Uh, right. And that are going to have the biggest impact on their team and help their team win and, and improve their team's record and, and things like that. Right. And right. running. It's debatable, you know, and it's the industry has changed so quickly. If you look at athletes like Jenny Simpson or Emma Coburn or Kara, um, Jenny and Emma are still running at a really high level. But if you think about London in 2012, these women had almost no social presence. Right. No. Um, I mean, maybe there was an Instagram or a Twitter, but they weren't active on it and it wasn't part of what their contracts were. And it just wasn't part of the repertoire of being a professional runner, um, the way that it has become over the last 10 years. But I really think most recently over the last three years, the whole industry yeah. has just absolutely shifted towards an influencer who, you know, might be able to run an eight minute mile, might, can literally make more money per Instagram reel than just I would say most of the professional athletes. Now you're not going to probably top like a Sydney McLaughlin or, you know, the, the, the top, top, top 0.1% of each yeah. athlete in each event, so to speak. Yeah. But these athletes are um, gaining and, and often sometimes losing contracts um, even when they're competing at the height of their career, because they're not, gaining enough Instagram followers, enough views of their reels. They don't have a TikTok channel. So the industry is just shifted in a way that, I mean, what is a professional runner supposed to do if they're not good at the social channels? Right. It's tough, right? right? I, I was going to say it's super tough. I mean, and I think that, that there's always been things that professional athletes had to do in addition to their athletic performance, right? There's always sure. been, they had to do media appearances or they had to do, you know, show up for, for autograph signings or something else like that, right? And so, so I, I appreciate the fact that, okay, there's more to being a professional athlete than solely your performance, but still you would think your performance is... 90% of the equation. Now, what we're seeing, as you're suggesting, is that you have people that, that, that are at the super high end that are, are brilliant performers, but yet are getting paid less than people who are not brilliant performers, but have much higher Instagram and TikTok followings. All that being said, I'm, I'm reminded of a story that I read several years ago, and this was before what you might call the era or the rise of the influencers. Um, and I believe it was from Nick Simmons, who was talking about a conversation that he had with his dad early on in his running career. Um, and he was essentially complaining to his dad, who worked in corporate America, that that um, he wasn't getting paid what he felt he was worth based on how much he was working and the times that he was running and things like that. And his dad said, what do you think your job is? And And Simmons said, well, I think my job is to win races. And his dad said, no, your job is to sell shoes. That's yep. the reason why they're paying you is to sell shoes. And he said that that was a real kind of aha moment for him, that, that he realized that he needed to do something more. Um, and, and later on in his career, Nick Simmons started doing things like beer miles and stuff like that yep. in, order, in order to try yeah. and, and, 
maintain relevance or maintain his presence online and stuff like that and and therefore justify the salary he was getting paid by nike and then by brooks right um and i i hear him and i agree with that but something just feels like over the course of the past couple of years it's tipped a little bit do you know what i mean yeah i mean i think a perfect example of that um and just preface this with saying it's January 5th. This is a month where we're going to see a lot of sponsor changes, sponsor announcements. So we don't know the big picture um, and maybe not as many because it's an Olympic year. But at least for this year, I can point to Grayson Murphy, who is probably yeah. one of the best mountain runners in the United States right now. And if not the world, she medaled twice at Worlds this year. And she's been very vocal on the last two podcasts I've heard her on and that she is losing two big sponsors for 2024, even though she had the best running year of her life. Right. Now her main shoe sponsor, Saucony is still um, sticking with her. And, but she doesn't have the Instagram algorithm that she once had, or that other people that these sponsors, non-endemic sponsors sponsor. Um, so they have basically not renewed her contract because she wasn't getting, you know, enough activity on her Instagram reels. So, right. I mean, if you're Grayson and you're running at the height of your career and you're walking away from worlds with two medals and you're losing sponsors, I, and she's not the type of person that probably has this outlook, but I would just feel so hopeless about the state of the sport that I was in yeah. um, because it makes no sense. Mm -hmm. But in the same regard, I think even to get a professional contract these days, the last two to three years, part of being signed as a professional runner coming out of college, coming out of high school is almost already having that influencer social media presence. Yeah. It's just like built Young. in. Yeah. It's yeah. just built into professional running now. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I just don't see it. I don't see these brands actually swinging back to caring more about performance. Yeah. I don't, I don't either. That being said, you do have some people that are really, and maybe we're just in transition. You do have some people, some young runners who are pretty good at social media, but also are pretty good runners, right? Sure. So you have yeah. people like Molly Seidel, right? Who, yes. who uh, has a, a good following and also wins an Olympic bronze medal, right? You have people like Nico Young. You have people like Caitlin Tui, who is not yep. super active on social media, but Every she has the followers. Her, yeah, every single one of her posts gets a whole lot of love and she has a whole lot of followers, right? Right. Um, Graham Blanks, guy from Georgia who just won uh, the NCAA Cross Country Championship. Um, his, uh, his, his Instagram handle is something like I voted for Pedro or something like that. It's a Napoleon Dynamite <laughs> reference. Um, uh, he just signed an NIL deal with New Balance. Um, and so clearly he has a presence as well. And so maybe maybe what we're complaining about here is just like a transition between yeah. between the current crop of or the 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 established professional runners and then the established influencers. And then in the future, it's going to be both. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'd rather be an influencer at this point. Like, well, you know, that's what Gra yeah, Grayson Murphy tweeted <laughs> so, uh, that. I want to say she she said she said that that. <laughs> If you're getting a six figure and some of them do, the amount of money is actually kind of mind blowing. If you get a six figure appearance fee from a marathon for showing up as an athlete, but some you might lose some of that money if you don't perform and you get a six figure appearance fee as an influencer, but you can run whatever you want to run as long as you're like right. recording reels from the course. Right. Um, it seems like 
the latter is the sweeter deal, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Um, um, and so, so Grayson Murphy said, you know, I, I feel like I, I'm kind of not doing the right one here. I think I'm, I'm, I, I'd rather be an influencer sometimes than being a runner, she says, but, uh, yeah. or than being a professional, an athlete, whatever you want to call it, a, a, comp- a competitor. There we go. Yeah. I mean, I think the influencer in the industry has already shifted the entire industry and, you know, it's way too early to actually look at what are the effects of the NIL deals going to be for professional runners. But, you know, it's pretty safe to say if you're out there and you're in high school and you've got professional running on your mind or early in college, if you really want to help yourself, I mean, you got to start building that like social media channel. Mm-hmm. Every brand is looking for that. Every brand is looking, how can they best sell their product? And if that's not, you know, making a national team or winning a medal, then it's how many people are seeing what the product is doing, not really who is it on or where is it at? Just can you get eyes on the product that we're paying you to advertise for us, basically? The amount of money that's actually into influencing is a little bit stunning. A lot. Um, yeah, a, a so-called micro influencer. Somebody has between fifteen thousand and seventy-five thousand Instagram followers can get two thousand to eight thousand dollars per sponsored post on Instagram. Per post, so somebody with seventy-five thousand Instagram followers can potentially get eight thousand dollars for a single Instagram post. That's a little bit mind-blowing to me. Um, it's crazy. So huge influencers, ones that have like close to a million followers, they can get 20,000 to $50,000 per post. Um, yeah. And if you're Asics or New Balance or Adidas, I mean, why, like go with that, right? I mean, yeah. you, yeah, your oh. odds are much more in your favor than top three on a given day at a world championship track, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's pretty amazing that the, the amount that's in there. Now, One other thing I'll say here um, is I I do think that it's changed over the course of the last few years. I do think it's currently in transition. I mentioned Nick Simmons before. I really think one of the first people to usher in this influencer era is a name that I am loathe to say on this podcast, but it's David Goggins. So, so David Goggins, who's well known for, for all these various catchphrases he has, he very much has built a personal brand and he's written a book or two and he has an online presence. Um, and, and people quote him left and right. Um, and, and folks love the guy. He is, he is not a very accomplished competitor. Um, he's, he's run some hundred mile races. He's done Kona. Um, but he always finishes about mid pack. But if you go on to Instagram or you go on to TikTok and you s- see somebody running a distance race, you, you see like Elliot Kipchoge breaking two hours in, in, in Austria or something else like that. And people will comment on there. I bet Goggins would like, they literally will write, man, this guy must really listen to Goggins or stuff like that. Um, they think that, that, that Goggins is a better competitor and is faster and tougher than than Kipchoge and Kiptum and, and, and all the rest. It's kind of amazing. And I, I really put down a lot of, of the current influencer movement to what he has paved, basically. He has said that, that my brand and the catchphrases that I have um, and the connections that I've made and the people who endorse me and talk about how great I am, I think that 
that's straight influencer stuff. Um, and I think that, that he sort of paved this road that, that lots of others are kind of following. I feel a little nauseous giving the influencer industry credit <laughs> to David Goggins. Um, but I don't disagree with anything that you said. I, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought to bring him up on our podcast in the way that you just said. It's like complimentary. So, no, so, I'm just kidding. Well, to, to me, <laughs> but it does make me, sense. I mean, yeah. it is it is pretty clutch. Um, it is a very good example of yeah. how it sh- how the shift can occur. Um, to me, it's so. just birds of the same feather. Um, yeah. And and I, I don't I don't think he necessarily saw I don't think he necessarily you know saw this trend coming. He necessarily saw the the, the growth of this and and said, hey, this is the 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 path I'm going to follow, and I'm going to lead the way for a whole new crop of of people inside the running industry. I don't think he did that, um, but but I think that that he sort of opened this door um, that folks are kind of pouring through right now, um, and I think it'll be interesting to see whether whether it starts to kind of close over the course of the next few years. It's definitely wide open right now. It's really wide open. I'd love to see it close a little. Um, I'd love to see, you know, for professional runners to really just be able to focus on, on their running, so to speak, and not even worry about what their social content is, or I'd love to see the bigger brands. And I know some of this, some of them already do this, but it's not really necessarily those people who get the most hurt by this, but, you know, give, give these sign these athletes and give them a content creator as part of their contract so that Mm. they don't have to worry about it. They don't have Mm. to put their time and effort into curating their posts. I mean, I hear Mm. people, you know, in the middle of a a long run, like marathon pace workout, and they're trying to figure out like, what is the Instagram post going to be? It's like, that is not going to help you for race day, you know, practice what you're going to race. And if they're so nervous or taking time, I mean, that's, that's mental energy that in my honestly is just wasted. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's a, I, I think it's a stress factor proposal. for them. So, yeah, I think that's an interesting proposal. I will say, and, and this will be my final word on it, um, is that I do think that Gen Z, I do think that the people that are in college now and in high school and college now, I do think that, that creating content comes much more easily to them. Um, yep, because they've been doing it. like, like my sons have kind of been doing these sorts of things already. They're not creating content per se, but, but they go on scratch their little program and they create little games and stuff. And then, so they, they literally, um, they're currently right now in a competition where they're building a website about Bigfoot last year at the same competition, they entered the film category and they made and edited a film that was based on a graphic novel that they both have read. Um, and so I, I think that the, the, the next generation is growing up, creating these sorts of things to the degree that it's not a source for st- of stress for them the way that it would be for me and you. Um, sure, that makes but sense. I, but, 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 I, but I do think that, that getting a contract, a content creator, someone who actually comes out with you and films you on your runs and gets all the footage yeah. for you and then consults you on exactly. I think that's brilliant. Um, so for sure, for sure. All right, Michelle. Good kickoff to 2024. I appreciate you being with me. Yeah, that was fun. I don't know that we're we gonna. Good... I don't know that we're gonna record a podcast before you head to Houston. So, so good luck. Aw, thanks. So, uh, excited to hear about when you get back. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Don't forget to check out our new website that we're building in early 2024, mostpleasantexhaustion.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast or on Instagram at mostpleasantexhaustion. 
We're available on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell your friends and don't forget to give us a rating. We also offer coaching services through MPE Coaching. You can reach out to us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com, at mpecoach at gmail.com, or just click on the coaching link on the podcast website. Again, that's www.mostpleasantexhaustion.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com, at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram at bluepineappletravel. Check out High Echelon PC at highechelonCPA.com. Big thanks to our sponsor, Elemental Altitude. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com, on Instagram at elementalaltitude, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash elementalaltitude. And finally, thanks to our newest sponsor, Bright Hair. You can find them at brighthair.com or on Instagram at bright period hair. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Eric Hall, thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. <laughs>